What's going on, Digital Wildcatters? Welcome to another week of the Big Digital Energy Podcast. It's me, your boy, Frack Slap. Some people hate when I say it's your boy, Frack Slap. They say I sound too YouTube-ish, too much like a YouTuber. You sound kind of young, but that's all right. It's your boy, Frack Slap. Welcome, black, welcome back <laughs> from New Mexico. Thanks, man. So we got an interesting week in energy. Let's get this show kicked off. Let's, Let's do it. it. Colin, issue number week number one this week, Southwest shutdown. According to USA Today, this past weekend, Southwest Airlines canceled almost 30% of its flights, citing air traffic control issues and the weather. Critics were quick to point out American Airlines canceled 2% of its flights. Spirit Air only canceled 4% of its flights over the same time. Even the FAA stated no FAA traffic staffing shortages have been reported since the previous Friday and were limited to one area of the Jacksonville Air Route Traffic Control Center. Rumors quickly circulated on social media, including a tweet from our own Senator Ted Cruz, suggesting the cancellations were a sick out by the pilots to protect protest mandatory COVID vaccinations. Management dismissed such claims, while the pilot union, of course, blamed the mess on poor planning by management. Colin, what do you know about this? Well, I got caught up in this mess earlier in the week. So I flew up to Denver and then back to Houston on the same day. And then the next day I flew to Albuquerque and back from Albuquerque to Houston. And every single one of my flights was either delayed or canceled and one of them was canceled earlier in the day I, I think what a lot of people have a problem with with southwest right now is that they're not getting notifications that their flights are delayed so i actually went up to my gate early i was there three hours early sat there for three hours until i realized that my flight was canceled and i'm talking to the uh, gate attendant i'm like hey man like what's going on all of this seems really weird and he's like you know there's not a crew for the flight it's like i don't really know what's going on with the communication system and so things seemed a bit off and then later in the week, this comes out that, you know, I don't know how much validity there are to the rumors. If you have Ted Cruz talking about it, maybe it is valid. Maybe it's not. Um, but, you know, at first I was pissed at Southwest for essentially screwing me over this week. But if it is truly pilots having a sick in for um, protesting the COVID mandate, I'm kind of like, I'm pumped about that. Like, I wish oil and gas had the balls to take a week off from oil and gas production and just show the world, you know, how important it is to the industry. Uh, it's kind of what Southwest is doing here. It's like, hey, if you guys uh, really need us, you know, you're not going to mandate this. We're going to take a week off and really just screw up the uh, travel system. I saw a quote on Twitter somewhere saying that if you want to get back at the, the elites, hit them where it hurts. And airline travel is one of those things. But let me ask you two questions on this story. Does this matter in any way, shape, or form to oil demand? And let me throw a couple of stats at you. Currently, we're at about 80% of where we were same week to same week in 2019 uh, air travel. We're greater than 2x where we were 
2020 in the in the height of the pandemic. Is this going to cause airline travel to lag or is this a blip? I mean, I guess it depends on how long it drags out, right? I just saw on Twitter right before we started recording that they expect all flights to be back on track this week. You know, if that happens, I don't think that it has any implications on oil demand. Now, if it got drug out over a month, I think that it would cause some type of uh, disruption and supply demand. But I don't know. I think that it has more political uh, implications than anything. If you look at the relationships between unions and Democrats and Republicans, I think that that's where things get a little interesting. Yeah. No, I think what we've seen historically is Republicans, starting with Reagan and Bush, et cetera, have slowly been chipping away at union support for pure Democrats. And I wonder, is this the wedge issue that goes ahead and flips that? You know, the Democratic president is making you get a vaccine, even if you've already had COVID and have natural immunity. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out and whether this is a wedge issue going forward. Yeah, I think uh, my, I told Claire, over here at Digital Wildcatters, I was never flying Southwest again after my experience with them. But maybe I'll change my mind once we get some more information on what's actually happening. And maybe I'll end up supporting the uh, Southwest pilots after all. But let's go from... So are uh, you on the record as saying Digital Wildcatters, we don't have to get vaccinated? Yeah, we don't have to get vaccinated. <laughs> there we go. All right. Digital Wildcatters, we do whatever the fuck we want. All right. So let's get into our next story. Public companies are having to walk the line. All right. So oil is just sending it, absolutely sending it, right? $80 WTI for the first time since late 2014 and it's been an impressive run and you know you have nat gas right up alongside it you know hovering between five dollars and six dollars in mcf but despite this price run and equally impressive jump by natural gas public oil and gas companies continue to show restraint the rig count stands at 533 which is more than double from a year ago but just a quarter of the rigs that were running last time oil prices were this high and this time it's the private companies leading the charge Bloomberg estimates that more than half of the growth in oil production in the Permian Basin will come from private companies. And equally important, it's limited to the Permian. Chuck, seems like the public companies continue to walk the line. Um, you know, I think that if you look at the dynamics between public and private companies, even over the last decade, it's been really interesting. What's your take on the position that public EMPs are in right now? So we seem to be celebrating the public companies. They've found discipline. They've come over it. But I'm reminded of a Beach Boys song. <laughs> we'll have fun, fun, fun till daddy takes a T-bird away. The investors just cut into the chase, took the money away. So public companies had to do this, Colin, if, uh, if they wanted to continue in existence. So you've seen dividends uh, being paid. You've seen proclamations by companies saying, hey, we're going to spend this much in CapEx. We're going to distribute this much to the shareholder. I think Scott Sheffield actually said it best last week and he, when he said, I don't care if oil is 75, 85, 95, 100, 110, we're going to remain disciplined as an industry because if not, we're going to get punished by investors. So I think this has been 
investor driven, and it's going to continue. I mean, even this week, Vicki Holub at Oxy came out and said she's committed to growing the dividend over time. So I think this is this is uh, this is something that's here to stay. It's something that's going to be sticky. Yeah, one thing I think that's interesting that was brought up to my attention last week as far as capital discipline and the rig count in the U.S. is that it's just becoming expensive to drill and complete wells too. Uh, had some engineers tell me that they're seeing 25 to 30% price increases on their pipe across the board. And I had another engineer tell me that he's seen as high as 60% price increase on a specialty string of casings. So sometimes I wonder if, you know, is it strictly uh, capital discipline by EMPs or is it just them saying, shit, we're having so much inflation and the price of steel that we don't want to drill wells? Well, I guarantee you five years ago, that would have been quote unquote one time startup costs in the model. If that means a $10 million well with all that price appreciation, they were running $7 million wells going forward. Oh, we'll get efficiencies down. Yeah. And, uh, and all that. And so, no, it's, uh, it's really good to, to see. And, you know, I was talking last week a little bit with Dan on this show and we talked, uh, afterwards with some folks you know, they're t sitting there talking about how investors have laid down the law. You know, it's cash flow, it's dividends back and all that. And somebody asked me the question, what does it take for growth capital to come back? And I think that's a big can of worms. You and I talked about this, I think, on the first BDE show. I've talked about it on the podcast. There's just going to have to be a lot more transparency in how oil and gas companies relate. Because if you think about it, basically growth capital, what you're saying is, we're going to go drill a bunch of wells and we're going to have tails of production for 40 years. And so what are those tails worth? And investors will tell you leading up to this, I have no fucking idea what that's worth. And so it's going to take better, uh, better transparency into what this is, uh, what these tails are actually worth, what they mean before we even think about growth capital. Yeah. And there seems to be one exception I saw with Jerry Jones, Comstock divesting out of the Bakken and going heavy into the Haynesville. Um, I think they, their state of purpose is accelerating its completions program in the Haynesville to take advantage of these high uh, Natty G prices. So Jerry Jones coming out with that BDE and saying, hey, we're going all in on Haynesville. Do you find that to, uh, I mean, that just kind of seems like a Jerry Jones type of thing to do, right? Well, one, it sounds like a Jerry Jones t uh, thing to do. Two. Is Comstock really a public company or yeah. is it a private company <laughs> run by Jerry Jones? Because, you know, going back to the intro of this, we were talking about how the growth in oil production in the, in the Permians coming from private companies. They're running rigs. They're seeing these prices. It's the public companies that are having to show discipline. Comstock's a private company run by Jerry Jones and he sees $6 gas. And so he's going to go complete all these. I think it's 20 two wells that they're going to complete this year versus waiting until next year to get them completed. Yeah. Jerry Jones always out there making moves. Dallas Cowboys are winning games. He's Three got $6 net gas. Jerry Jones is on cloud nine right now. So let's get into uh, our next segment. What say you? What say you? What say you? All right, Chuck, you ready for this? Let's do it. All right. So Chesapeake named former CFO Nick Deloso as CEO and appointed him the company's board of directors. Well, say you, Chuck, what do you think about that? Nah. 
<laughs> I mean, in all fairness, I don't know, Nick. I met him 100 years ago when he worked for Jeffries before he went to Chesapeake. But, I mean, if you think about it, the guy's been there since 2006. I think he joined the MLP. He was part of all the decisions that were made, including the balance sheet issues uh, that happened through the years. And, you know, plus, if he's your dude, if he's the CEO, why did they run, what, a six-month exhaustive search looking for somebody? I mean, I hope when you were choosing who to co-host BDE with, it wasn't an exhaustive six-month search. <laughs> search and then... <laughs> Hey, Chuck, you're up. All right, Dad, I'm in. Okay. <laughs> so I think this is kind of kind of math. But I will say this. I really do. And I mean this with all sincerity. I hope he succeeds because I think Chesapeake's, we were just talking about Jerry Jones, Chesapeake's like the Dallas Cowboys. They're like the New York Yankees. They're iconic. The NFL is better when the Cowboys are winning. Major League Baseball is just better when the Yankees are there. Love them or hate them. And I think the same is true with Chesapeake for our business. So I do hope he succeeds. For sure. I agree with that. All right, Colin. Tesla had its annual meeting this past week. And as with most things, Tesla, they had some surprises. Have you ever heard John Gibson talk about the Tesla annual meeting? I haven't, but so, coming from John Gibson, I'm sure it's great. It's it's good <laughs> stuff. So I heard him give this speech back when he was with Tudor Pickering Holt. He bought a share of stock so he could go to the annual meeting. And he said it was like an evangelical revival. You walk in and it's like, hey, what price did you get in at? $47. <laughs> oh, you know, what price did you get in? 82 Oh, and he said it was the wildest thing because Elon Musk gets up in front of everybody and says, we're going to build a gigafactory here and a gigafactory there and all. And John counted it up. He was going to spend nearly $500 billion of capital just announced right there. No plan <laughs> to finance it. No CEO would ever say we're going to spend that much capital. But anyway, anyway, any chance you get to have John Gibson. In fact, we should get we should him get on here. John, on the show. John, come on the show and talk about it. John it's always a great story. Anytime he sees me and Jake, he always says, oh, it's the guys with the podcaster haircuts. So <laughs> if we bring John on the show, he's going to start roasting us. So <laughs> I'll have to do it one week when you're not here or else it's just going to be you guys roasting me the entire time. I think that would be more fun. <laughs> but so the Cybertruck starting in late 2022, they're hoping to start the semi and the Roadster production that year. But the big news, although unsurprising, I think, news coming out of that was they're going to move the corporate headquarters to Austin, Texas. Colin, what say you? I mean, I get a lot of heat on Twitter because I'm a Tesla and, more importantly, an Elon Musk fanboy. So, one, I love that they're bringing the HQ to um, Austin. I also love that they did it after what was it was it um a representative or senator for california i can't remember her position um anyways government official um pretty much coming out and saying fuck elon musk and he's like okay you know message heard <laughs> and then a year and a half later moves headquarters to texas i love that um so anyways big fanboy of what they're doing i don't own any tesla stock 
Um, so, you know, I can at least say that I'm not part of the cult that, you know, just sitting there, um, talking about what price I got in, but one, I think that it's going to be net positive for Texas. You look at the portfolio of companies that Elon Musk is running here in Texas between, uh, Tesla and SpaceX and going acquiring natural gas operations. I think that it brings a lot to Texas. And I know people that have moved out of oil and gas to go work on offshore installations for SpaceX where they're landing rockets. So I think if you can get that flywheel here working in Texas, I think that it's going to be positive for everyone in the state. And, you know, whether you love Elon or hate him, the dude builds and he's good at building. And, you know, maybe he bullshits a little bit to make that happen, but he gets it done. So world-class epic trolling by Elon Musk this week. Jeff Bezos tweeted out some award that Amazon had won and Elon Musk tweeted back a second place medal because Bezos is now the second richest man in the world behind Musk. <laughs> so this is, yeah, it reminds me like two weeks ago, uh, Jeff Bezos congratulates Elon on sending um, people to space. You know, he sent that crew of four uh, people to space. So uh, Jeff Bezos congratulates him. Elon responds, says, hey, thanks. I appreciate that. And then the third comment in the thread is from Mr. Beast on YouTube. He's like, oh, look at YouTube just getting along and stuff. And I was like, social media is fucking weird that you can just have some YouTuber <laughs> in the middle of their uh, conversation. But yeah, I think, um, you know, I think that the race between Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk is one of the edges that America has when facing Russia and China. We got pure capitalists that are building things. So I support oh. it. So one last thing while we're here on Elon Musk, and this is serious, Colin, we got to put it on Digital Wildcatters to-do list. The folks coming in from California, the folks moving to Austin, we as Texas, red state, pro-business, we're very cool with the liberal vibe in Austin. It's a libertarian vibe. It is, hey man, leave us alone. We want to do our weird stuff. And I think the state of Texas as currently configured has great detente with that. What I'm really worried is the, the move in from California's that turn into the liberals uh, that say, no, you have to do things my way. Like Colorado has gone through. So we need to, we actually, as a, as a group need to figure out how we educate those folks on being pro business and we'll all just get along. Yeah. Uh, GW Goldman said, I'm a fanboy, but I don't own stock in Tesla, so I'm a discount fanboy. Look, I've never understood the valuation in the public market of Tesla. I think Elon Musk has said something along the same lines, so I just don't understand it as an investment. And you know, I've lost probably a lot of money over the last decade by not investing in it, but I'm a fan of him and what they're doing. So maybe I'm a discount fanboy, Walmart brand fanboy. <laughs> so anyways, enough of me being on Elon's uh Hype train. Let's go back over to oil and gas real quick. With Penn Virginia completed an all stock merger with Lone Star Resources and rebranded itself as Ranger Oil Corporation. Sounds like a military unit or something. Combined company will have approximately 140,000 net acres in the Eagleford Shell in South Texas and approximately 40,000 barrels a day of production. Chuck, what do you say about this merger? All stock. What do you think? So two important points here. One, this goes to the continued mantra of, hey, guys, you got to get bigger. We need to continue to consolidate. We need to continue to cut costs, et cetera. So that's just more of the same on that front. So from that point of view, it's good. 
I have not talked to the Juniper Capital guys about this. Uh, I think they're really sharp guys. Sitting in their seat, though, if I'm a private equity guy and I have companies that I need to sell to get liquidity for my my investors, you know, Scott Sheffield said probably two or three months ago, there's 10x the properties for sale that there are cash buyers on. So it's going to be deals like this, because if you'll notice, they've combined, I think if you run through the math, uh, Juniper now owns, call it 50% of Ranger Oil. So they've got a publicly traded security. I don't know this, but my guess is as they see little blips in the stock price going up, they think they can get a 25, 50, 75, $100 million offering off. They're going to take it because getting liquidity for shareholders today is not a simple sign up a bank and sell. It's multi-step process. So this, I think, is you're starting to see some of that game play out. Got you. All right. Colin. Earlier this year, the state of Texas went all in digital with pro-cryptocurrency legislation. They established a working group on blockchain technology. The banking department said, hey, Texas state chartered banks, you can hold custody of crypto for your customers. What say you, Colin? Dude, I think everyone knows where I stand on this. I'm sure GW Goldman's about to pop off here in the comments <laughs> and talk about me being in the Bitcoin cult, cryptocurrency cult. Um, one love Texas, love that we're forward thinking when it comes to this stuff. We're very capitalistic. So we see an opportunity here. I think Texas is going to control a majority of the hash rate on the Bitcoin mining network here over the next five to 10 years. I think that's, you know, going to be a common theme for Texas, Oklahoma, Wyoming, and possibly North Dakota. So we're going to become powerhouses when, uh, it comes to mining and, you know, I've seen this firsthand, you know, Chinese miners getting banned in China and coming over to Texas and saying, hey, can we set up miners on natural gas sites? They're even setting them up on the grid, running off a of wholesale power. And then even looking at renewables like solar and wind turbine farms. Um, so one, I love seeing this. I love seeing that blockchain and Bitcoin is getting some love with officials. I think that, you know, you look at like Ted Cruz, I think Ted Cruz uh, put out something yesterday or the day before talking about using Bitcoin mining for natural gas flaring mitigation. So people are starting to see it and it's becoming a real thing too. Like, you know, I was going off on Twitter, I think last week, you know, you have Conoco mining up in uh, the Bakken, you have EOG mining in New Mexico these are big oil companies that are starting to realize, hey, this can be a solution. And soon they're going to see that, look, it's not just for flare mitigation. This can actually compete with a molecule that's going in the pipeline. Why sell for $6 if we can sell for $30 in MCF? Thank you. Thank you. I mean, every time I talk to folks, oil and gas, it's like, well, we don't have a lot of flare flared gas. And that's not what it's about. You look at your natural gas processing every day. Should we strip out the liquids? Yes or no? What's the highest realiz realization of uh, price I can get? Same should be true as uh, of Bitcoin mining. The other thing that we got pointed out when we were in a meeting last week with some folks is you sell, you mine Bitcoin, you turn that to cash a lot quicker than waiting for the midstream company to pay you in 30 or 60 days. Plus, all of the environmental impact and ESG positive type results by just keeping the gas localized. 
as a throw as opposed to throwing it into pipelines because that's where your leaks happen and your problems happen yeah it's actually interesting there is an esg angle there on the transmission of nat gas and oil you know instead of sending it into a pipeline down to the gulf coast keep it localized and you don't have those rogue emissions during the transmission process I didn't think about that too much. Yeah, yeah, no, but it's 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 a real thing, and we need to do more work on that and get that word out. So, all right, Colin, new uh, bit we've got the underappreciated story of the week. So the former management team of Indigo Resources, who just closed their merger with Southwestern, formed a new company. They're calling it Azul Resources with equity backing from Carnelian Energy Management Capital. And so why is this underappreciated? Number one, since minus $37 oil, private equity is generally operated under the the way they've done business is, hey, we're not going to give you an equity line of credit anymore. Pay your GNA while you go look for deals. We're going to wait till you find an asset. You show up. We cut a check to make this deal happen. That, that's been the change. Maybe you create the equity line of credit for a repeat management team. If they sold and you're backing them again, you do that. This is different. You have a new management team for Carnelian, so it's not a repeat team. It appears they've been given an equity line of uh, credit for this, and they're going to go out and look for deals. Is this kind of the start of a thawing, if you will, and maybe private equity capital is going to be more aggressive, play more offense, looking for our opportunities? Or is this just a unique situation in that you've got a great team that freed up? I will tell you this, the Carnelian guys are as smart as they come when it's private equity, oil and gas. They yeah. really are. So I think that's, that's interesting. If that's the beginning of a trend or if it's an outlier, a one-off uh, team getting getting funding. I guess we'll be able to keep an eye on that over the next year or so. We'll see how long this uh, commodity cycle runs up. I'm pretty bullish long-term uh, next few years, so I'm sure there'll be some guys and teams uh, cashing in on that. Got to ask you real quick. Did you make that video for this segment? Who is that lady? Catherine Johnson. So Catherine Johnson is uh, very underappreciated. She's the one that did all of the calculations for NASA to basically oh, get us right. for the moon. Yeah, yeah. Get us for the moon. Yeah. So yeah, no, cool. we... Uh, I didn't uh, recognize her picture or her name, but I think there's a really famous picture of her st sitting next to like a stack of paper that was all the uh was all the math and yeah old school by hand, hand. that's doing, really cool doing all the i mean we have more power in our iphones right now than the nasa engineers had it's to wild get to think about that yeah it's actually wild to think about like over the last hundred years some of the stuff that we were able to build and i don't think that we could build those things today <laughs> even though we have more technology um yeah i didn't have an underappreciated story I threw out an underappreciated food, which is a culinary masterpiece that I have created, which is pineapple pizza with pepperoni and jalapenos. You get that sweet taste from the, the pineapple, the savory taste from the pepperoni, and then the spicy from the jalapenos. It's underappreciated. And I may even get you know canceled or hated on for that take, but that's all I could come up with this week on last minute's notice. So I well, just wanted to on. throw one, some love out there for that. And, and one last second, just to complete the... Uh, the critique, if we will, of our intro video, I put me too there. 
don't ever underappreciate the ability to make somebody feel better by saying me too, because we're all going through a lot of shit. There you go. I saw that in there. I didn't know what that was. We got to get some That's more clarity why I on your videos before you just throw them out there. <laughs> that was, yeah. Show up to rehearsal, Colin, and, and you'll all see right. them. <laughs> so let's get into this week's finger of the week before we end out this show. All right, Chuck, who's our finger of the week? Senator Ed Markey, Massachusetts, who this week tweeted out energy is not, or uh, natural gas is not clean energy. Yeah, I'm actually going on a podcast later today, My Climate Journey, uh, which is one of my good buddies, and he's based in Boston. That's one of the questions that he wants to ask me. Hey, I saw that you retweeted that tweet, asked him to come on your podcast and talk about it. Do you think that natural gas is a clean fuel? And my answer is it's a lot cleaner than coal. It's a lot cleaner than a lot of alternatives that we have. And if you look at any energy source, there's pros and cons to every single one, right? Like you look at how do we make renewables like wind and solar commercial and you need batteries. Think about all the batteries that we need for commercial solar farms and wind turbines and electric vehicles. How do we get the metals for those? Strip mining the earth. Is that environmentally friendly? Like what is clean energy? What does clean energy mean? So that's my beef with saying that natural gas is not clean energy because I think that it is cleaner than coal. And I think that it is abundant and economic and can bring a lot of prosperity to the United States and a lot of people in poverty around the world. And quite frankly, if we got really serious about reducing CO2 in the atmosphere, the deal to do is U.S. natural gas and somehow financing natural gas infrastructure for China and India to get them to shut down building the coal plants. Yeah, that that's absolutely. the big that's, thing we could do. That's a step change, right? So and and Colin, there's no fucking irony in the fact that we're talking about clean. Because when you think senator from Massachusetts, don't you just think dirty? I mean, come <laughs> on. It is very ironic. So, hey, guys, appreciate you uh, tuning in for this week's BDE episode. We really appreciate the support. Everyone that's getting in the chat, dropping comments, especially you, GW Goldman. You know, Chuck and I appreciate you. Make sure to tune in next week. We may actually have a change time. We're going to be in Midland for Energy Tech Night. Uh, that's happening on Monday, the 18th. So we may actually do this show that day, early on Monday, and we'll make sure that we make everyone aware of that. Make sure you go to our website, digitalwildcatters.com, and sign up for the BDE newsletter. It goes out once a week. We'll catch you guys then.